Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is the Leaf Report Podcast with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. James, Phil Kessel is finally not a Maple Leaf. What do you, or how do you describe your level of surprise as to how everything shook out with Kessel being traded in the manner that he was traded, obviously, and then kind of when it happened? That's the thing. Like, I I, I thought Phil Kessel was going to get traded, but I thought it was going to be a process that was going to take them some time. It just felt like it was going to keep dragging on and on and... You know, I know in the piece I wrote leading into free agency, I said Phil Kessel is probably going to get traded in the next couple of months, and they're going to move on without him and and get a pretty good young player back for him. And uh, the funny thing is, that it happened the next day. That, you know, that's the thing that surprised me is I, I didn't see July one as kind of the drop dead date on that. I thought they were going to carry it on into the fall, maybe even let him play for a month or two. But it was pretty clear, you know, just reading the tea leaves in the organization that Shanahan didn't want him back. You know, I think that's the bottom line. Brendan Shanahan didn't want Phil Kessel. So that's when people wonder why they did it then and why, it, you know, why they didn't they didn't get the return maybe some people wanted. Shanahan didn't want him. And and Pittsburgh was really the only team that was really serious about getting him. Well, so two points on that. First, you mentioned that, that Shanahan didn't want him back. Um, and then you mentioned that, that Pittsburgh was the only team that was really seriously interested and then you try to judge the return. And and I think, A, to me, it's I don't know that you can judge the return just yet. Obviously, if you're you're looking for an ideal solution, the Leafs would obviously like to get back, you know, that that prospect that's a sure thing. But if there's one team involved, like aren't they weren't they kind of in a no-win position with this type of situation with Phil Kessel, with the player, with the contract? with the, the whole league knowing that they want to get rid of this guy, like I'm not sure that there was a scenario where they could hold out and get a whole lot better. Or do you think had they held on to him, 
the offer might have changed or the offer might have improved or, you know, more teams might have been in the mix? How do you see the dynamic that they were kind of faced with? Well, I'll put it this way. I don't think that the offer would have gotten worse if they would have waited until, you know, the trade deadline next year. But I mean, it, it, it comes down to the matter. Like, do you accept the idea that they had to trade him? Do you accept that he was going to be a detriment to the team? Do you accept that in order to start the rebuild, they had to move him? If you do, then I think it's an acceptable trade. If you accept the idea that he had to go, but I don't, I don't think he had to go. I don't think he was the problem. I think Mike Babcock could have sat down and worked with Phil Kessel. I think they could have focused more on trading Bozak and, and Lupul and, and Phaneuf. You know, I like, like to me personally, I think Kessel was because he's the youngest one of that group because he's the most reasonably paid one of that group. And because he's the highest performing one, I think there was more, a case that you could keep Phil Kessel and let the other guys go. But this really came down to almost a personality dressing room kind of thing. And they, they felt Phil Kessel was a bad influence really. And, you know, I, I mean, to me, that doesn't say any, anything good about the dressing room. If Phil Kessel is the one that's like kind of leading the charge. I mean, that, that, that sort of shows what's wrong with the team. And I think that that's part of what, what Shanahan wanted to get rid of. Yeah. And I can understand that, you know, and, and, I, I think what's what's kind of bothered me in this whole process is, and and I think we've seen it, and we see it a lot throughout the league, is what happens with the trade of a big player like that is what tends to happen is all kinds of things that have absolutely nothing to do with actual production and who the player is and everything like that get thrown out there. And it becomes about who this who Phil Kessel was as a person, as opposed to what made sense for the organization and what made sense for where they were going and the right. situation that they were in with the contract and, and the return. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it, it seems like yeah. sometimes the conversation gets so far away from what the actual matter is, which is a, an organization that's trying to start a rebuild. And I agree with you. I did, I, I'm not sure that there would be a downside to waiting to trade Phil Kessel, but I'm not. I'm also not sure how much upside there is to hanging on to him because there's every chance he comes in and maybe he gets off to a poor start teams go in different directions like you just don't know what's going to happen and if you get an acceptable offer or what you think is an acceptable offer I also don't think it's the worst thing to take it get some assets and rebuild but do, do you see why do you think the conversation always shifts away from player situation to personality and stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with anything well, it's kind of like the way our business has gone. I mean, there were some people saying that it didn't even matter. Some people in the media were saying it didn't even matter what return they got at all. They just had to get rid of this guy. And it's like, that's totally crazy. And the reason it's crazy, and I tried to explain this to some fans on Twitter the day that the trade happened, you can't just give away your best asset. I mean, like you can give away Bozak or Lupul because they just don't have a lot of value. Kessel had value. And the reality is that he's one of the few things the Leafs have that they're willing to trade that had value. So... You know, that was the one big move they could make to, to get back a grade A prospect. And I don't think they did it. You know, I think they got a B and a C in, in Kapanen and Harrington, and they're going to have to hit on a, a draft pick that's probably going to be in the bottom 10 of the first round next year. So they didn't they didn't get killed in this trade. I mean, the, I, I really don't like that they retain the salary. I mean, I think if that didn't exist, I think I would be a lot higher on this trade. I think Kapanen is going to be an NHL player. I don't know if he's going to be a second liner or a third liner. He might be. I mean, I think his upside is probably being kind of like what his dad was, which was a guy that played 800 games and had some good seasons, but was never really a superstar. 
Mm-hmm. Harrington, I mean, some people think that Harrington's going to be a guy that, that plays in the top four in the NHL. I mean, I don't see that looking at his career, but if anyone would know the player, it should be Mark Hunter. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think that part of this was the Leafs are betting on their scouting staff and that these guys know these players and, and know what they like. And one thing I was asking people in the Leafs organization after the trade was made was, did you like Kapanen better than some of the, I mean, is, is Kapanen maybe closer of a prospect to, to Pouliot? And I didn't get a very, I didn't get a good answer back on that. But I, to me, that I mean, maybe their scouts think that Kapanen's almost as good as Pouliot, and that they didn't have to try and wait out the trade. But you well, know, that's to, go ahead. Well, to me, that's why I, I like. I'm reluctant to judge it yet because we don't know what it, these things are going to be. Like if Kapanen turns into a good player, and like you, like I talked to Randy Sexton, who's the Penguins' director of amateur scouting, and he said he's probably you know a second or a third liner, and you know he's got some skill, needs to improve defensively. But the point is, we don't know what he's going to be. If he turns into a good player, and somehow they hit on that pick, and Harrington maybe becomes a player, then you'll look at the trade differently. Like when we looked at that trade with Boston with Kessel initially, it wasn't the dramatic, colossal, whatever you want to call it, that it became. Because at the time, we didn't know that it was going to become the number two pick. We didn't know that Dougie Hamilton was going to become, you know, another top four, top two defenseman. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, we couldn't judge it then. To me, you can't judge it until you see how these things play out. But like like you said, this is about them adding assets and adding assets for Mark Hunter, who they seem to have, you know, tons of faith. In. And that was evident at the draft, obviously with, with all the picks that they made. And I think the organization is very confident in their ability to find players. So, yeah. you know, if they truly believe that, that Phil Kessel was a detriment to what they're trying to build and they feel like they can find really good assets with a late first round pick and they feel like Kapanen's a guy that's going to develop into something and they feel Harrington's going to be an NHL player, then, you know, it probably makes more sense from their perspective, you know, and, you know, I, the, the thing that you, you talked about, the personality and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it, like right from the beginning of his career, right when he was drafted and right when the trade was made, the, the, the trade you're talking about with, with Kessel coming to the Leafs, I mean, no one in their right mind should have ever expected Kessel to be a leader or to be a guy that would make a, a dressing room gel or that would right. be good with the media or any of those things. And like, he never pretended all, to, to be that, right, James? He was never going to be that. He was. Just, no. He's just not that. That's just not what he. It's. It's like. It's like acquiring Shea Weber and saying, "Well, he's not a very good goalie." I mean, it's like it like makes no sense. Like bringing in Phil Kessel and saying he's not a leader. Like there's just like there's zero chance he's going to be a good leader. That's just not what he is. That's not what he was when. Like that's the the piece I tried to write. It was like when he, when he was like 13 years old. That's not what Phil Kessel was. That's never what he was. That's never what he's going to be. He's always going to be a complimentary player. So this idea that we're going to ride him out of town and say, well, he was never a good leader and he didn't, he didn't have character X, Y, Z. I mean, like that, that just, that was never part of the package. That's just not what he was. And James, they knew that when they signed him for eight years, like it wasn't a secret. He was a terrific goal scorer and there were a lot of things about him that you probably wouldn't love. And, you know, a cornerstone. And that was part of the flaw that they were trying to build around a team, a around, you know, Phil Kessel and Dion Phaneuf as their best players and, and B, they didn't put good teams around him. Like we talked about this on radio, like who was the best player he played with? And you mentioned like he played with Tyler Bozak the majority of his career, put him with a, a really good center. And, and I, I guess the point is the character stuff can be an issue if you want it to be an issue, but really what this comes down to 
is the teams that they built were bad, you know, and they didn't draft well and they didn't develop well and they made mistakes in free agency and bad trades. And, you know, that all comes to kind of the forefront now after the past decade. But I want to ask you, like, there were rumblings that, you know, Mike Babcock would have liked an opportunity to coach Phil Kessel. I don't know what to make of that, but do you think it says something about Brendan Shanahan and their front office that they would kind of put that aside, still make this move and kind of, you know, just essentially say to Mike Babcock, I'm sorry, but this is kind of the direction that we have to take. I wonder if like, that's just kind of something he said for public consumption and then the private conversation, you know, like that's part of what's happening now. Like the, the sources that quote unquote sources that media people have now are not as good with the Leafs front office. So we're getting, you know, one guy saying this is happening. Another guy saying that's happening. I think, I think it was Darren Dreger that said that Babcock said that maybe Babcock doesn't actually, you know, maybe he would have been like, well, I think I could have made him better, but I'm not necessarily that upset that we got rid of him because I believe in the same things. You know, the, the, one of the things I heard is that Babcock sat down with Kessel and it wasn't a great conversation and that, you know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe Babcock puts a lot of stock in those conversations because I could see, you know, like all, everything we hear is that Mike Babcock loves Dion Phaneuf and I could see how that those two would get along very well. And he feels like Dion Phaneuf is going to be a, a player that he can improve and that he can work with really well. I mean, I could see in a one-on-one meeting that Dion Phaneuf would be much more impressive than Phil Kessel. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's part of what happened. As far as like you, you mentioned Bozak, you mentioned, you know, Joffrey Lupul. Where do you see this thing going with those two guys? And I guess also Dion Phaneuf, obviously. I still think, like, I understand that, that maybe Mike Babcock likes Dion Phaneuf. I don't know. That's just what people say. I still think if there's a, a chance to trade him, I like, I still do it. I still don't worry about any of that stuff. Has your stance changed at all on that do you think their stance has changed at all on that it seems like their stance has changed i mean basically from what we can understand and i'm sure that that's fluid i'm sure that if enough comes back and he's not any better in the first 30 games that they can they can change their mind i mean one of the things that's tough here is that all three of those are basically bad contracts right now i mean funoff's 30 years old they all have no trade clauses they all can limit the number of teams they can be moved to uh, and the other thing too, the Leafs can only retain salary on, on one more deal. So, you know, it's, th- th- that's going to be, has to uh, be that one, right? Uh, well, yeah, probably. Yeah. And then, that's so the like, longest, if you can only it, make the most sense, if you can only retain salary on the, on the FNF deal, then you, you can't retain salary on loophole. There's no way you're going to move loophole for three years. I mean, you're basically just stuck riding out that deal. So I mean, that's the position they're in. Although, the, the other, I mean, I, I, the other deal that they're retaining salary on is Gunnarsson, and I think that that's probably up at the end of this coming year. So It is. Maybe they can wait that out and they can retain actually, after Joel. Right. Yeah. So, I, but, I mean. But it's actually amazing, James. Like, they, they're retaining 1-8 for Tim Gleason for the next three years, and then it's obviously seven years of Kessel, and then, like you mentioned, two hundred grand for Carl Gunnarsson, and that's it. So. It's too bad they've got that two hundred grand because I think if they didn't have that retain there, like that's 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 an asset really that that ability to retain salary that they gave up for who knows what reason in that trade. If they had if they were able to retain salary on two more deals, I think they could move Bozak and Lupul out probably tomorrow. I mean, just I think like I think with Lupul, I would just retain half his deal and move him. I mean, why? I don't think the Leafs are going to need that cap space in the next three years. You know, to bring another asset in, it opens up a roster spot. You know, see what you can do. And I think a team would take him for, I have to do math in my head here now, but I mean, what's 2.6? Is that what he would be for 2.6, uh, 2.7? Yeah. 
yeah, so I think a team would definitely take him. I mean, the average NHL salary is about three million bucks right now with the cap where it is. So I think someone would take Lupo for three more years at two point six. So you could move him that way, and then give the ice time to a Sean Mathias or 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 you know some other guy that you've got coming out, Ponick or someone else you want to develop. I just find it hard to believe that there's going to be a team, given the way his season went, given the injuries, given the age. I guess if you retain half the salary, maybe there's a team out there. But I think that he's a guy, A, I, he's a guy I think you could bring back. And I don't think there's that that shadow over things like there would be no. with Kessel, like there would be with Phaneuf. And I also think if, if he can get off to a good start, stay healthy, I think that that would change the dynamic a little bit, don't you think? Like specifically with him, yeah. don't you think there's more upside to keeping him than maybe the other guys? Well, Lupo likes Toronto. I mean, he, yeah. he he was he was he was basically depressed. I think for the last month or two of the season because he thought thought he was going to get traded at the deadline. Didn't get traded. Was stuck there, and it felt like a hopeless situation. They kept losing games. I mean, he like a bunch of the guys on the team sort of felt unwanted, and you know, I yeah, I mean, like I, I that that makes sense to me. I mean, you bring him back, you rehabilitate him, you play him in the top six. Uh, you know, maybe he can put up some points and, and then he's easier to move. But if he's not, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate to retain on that because it's only for three years. And, and like I said, you, you move him out, it opens up another spot and then you go into the, into the fall and training camp. I mean, the reality with all the guys that the Leafs signed, the Hunwick and Marinchin's going to get a deal and, and, uh, you know, there's, they're, they're at their 50 man roster limit or, or darn near close to it. And I'd like to have some flexibility going into training camp because you look around the league and there's tons of teams that want to get rid of guys. I just wonder if there's going to be another Richard Ponick that gets thrown on waivers on the, the cutoff day and the Leafs can take advantage of that. And yeah. maybe you don't want to be carrying around a Joffrey Lupul at that point. But but to go back to your point, I mean, I don't think he'll be a detriment to the, the dressing room at all. I mean, the a lot of the young guys on the team really look up to Lupul. Yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting with, like, with Lupul and, and maybe more so enough and you know this has become kind of a thing in the nba where you take a bad contract back but you also get something along with it and maybe like do you, do you see that potentially as a route for the leafs with someone like enough where you know they can take a bad contract back maybe obviously one that's that's not as long as Dion enough get something in terms of you know an asset back whether it's a draft pick whether it's a young player do you think that's something that they would be trying to pursue with with a contract like Fanuf, where they take something back that's not as long. But do you know where I'm going with this? Am I making sense? Yeah, that's what they they were looking at doing that with Kessel, and they were looking they they've been looking at doing that with Fanuf. So yeah, absolutely, I think that that's something that could happen for sure. So it's like one of the things is that Chicago was looking at trading Brian Bickle, and when they do that, they're gonna they're looking at basically putting in a prospect in the deal, is what I heard. So. You know, it's trying to get rid of there, – there's so many unwanted players around the league right now. It's really – it's it's remarkable how many there are. And teams are, 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 are kind of waiting it out. That's why free agency has been so slow. That's why guys like Cody Franzen are still out there waiting. And and I think we are going to see some of those really strange deals. Like, like I wonder if you could see a trade where uh, Chicago trades Brian Bickle and a third-round pick to a team for a fifth-round pick. So they're, they're, getting, they're getting back something worse than what they're giving up, but they're getting rid of that contract. I mean, that's – that's right. the kind of trade that I could see happening. And maybe it does make sense for the Leafs. Maybe, but I, I mean, I, I think they're really reluctant to give up picks. And I think that, you know, that's, that, that's something that they're, they're, they're trying to avoid is giving up a prospect or a pick in any of those kind of deals. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting specifically with FNUF, just because his is the longer contract. He is, I think he's 30 now. Like you mentioned, he's got the six more years. You've talked about it. You've written about it. You know, that, that defenseman with age, we, we see it more and more. And another thing you wrote recently, I think it was Monday, we're recording this on Monday, that, that GMs are starting to get a little bit smarter. You know, and you mentioned with restricted free agency, teams are going that route now more as opposed to UFA. How do you think that dynamic has changed? And obviously we saw that in free agency this year. You didn't see the crazy contracts. You saw the Leafs execute what I thought was a pretty smart strategy. Do you see the the tide shifting among general managers now? It sure seems like it. You know, it, it seems like that. What I heard is that a lot of GMs are waiting for teams like Chicago to do something. And that's kind of frozen the whole market. And it, it, agents are panicked around the league right now because their players don't have deals. And players are obviously panicked because they're worried they're not going to get in. And it's 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 a kind of a frantic time out there, even though like like to the outside, to the media and the public, it, it's, it looks like nothing's happening. But there's a lot happening behind the scenes. And teams looked at like what the Islanders did with with Letty and, and Boychuk and and got those guys basically for for not very much because yep. their teams had had to move out players and they want to take advantage of that. But the problem is there's a whole bunch of teams that are trying to do that. Like you if you look at the salary cap limits right now, there's only like six, maybe seven teams that are at the salary cap once they sign their RFAs. I mean, there's a lot of teams that still have money right now, so including the Leafs. So it's I, I think it's going to be really fascinating. And I think that that's part of what's working against the Leafs is that there's a lot of teams that have unwanted players. There's a lot of teams that have a loophole and a Bozak that they like to get rid of. And you kind of have to wait until you have to wait until some of the other pieces move. And Patrick Sharp is a big one. Bickle's a big one for Chicago. And then, yeah. you know, maybe maybe some other things start to happen after that. Well, and I think there's a, di- a different dynamic with Toronto and Toronto players that can be both good and bad. Like they can be inflated and they can also be deflated. And given everything that took place this past year, like there's no way that the, the value of those players could be any lower. Like they would just be, you know, right at the bottom, given everything that took place. Um, we touched on that free agent strategy that they had. They signed a bunch of players. They're continuing to sign players. You mentioned Sean Mathias. They added him most recently, P.A. Parento, uh, Nick Spalling from the trade with Pittsburgh, Mark Arcabello, Daniel Winnick, uh, Matt Hunwick. Did you like the, the strategy that they took in free agency? It, it, it seemed more in line with how they executed things later on in free agency last year as opposed to how they started with you know the four-year deal for Leo Komarov and the three-year deal for Stefan Robida. Did, did you like their, their execution? Yeah, and the Robida and Komarov deals don't look so great right now, do they? they so, and, and the trade, the the Gunnarsson for Polak trade with retaining salary and giving up a yeah. pick, and I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, things things changed when when the front office changed and and Kyle Dubas became part of it, and it's a continuation of that. I, I, it's smart. I mean, like you look at all the deals that they've signed; they haven't committed term to anybody, they haven't overpaid anybody. They've got all these contracts that'll be very easy to move or or just to wait out and wait until they're gone. Yeah, no, I I do like what they did in the sense that I like I had some teams I was talking to they were messaging me and be like what are the Leafs doing I mean why like why are they signing Arcabello and it's like you know what they're not gonna they're not gonna win next year I mean like like the reality is they know they're not gonna be a contending team next year so I I didn't understand like some teams around the league are watching this and and kind of like 
deriding what the Leafs are doing. But to me, it makes sense because they know where they are. They know where they want to get. And where they want to get is in 2017 and 2018. They want to be a contending team. So, you know, like, what are the chances Arcabello or or Hunwick or, you know, go down the list? What are the chances those guys are going to be there when this team... They won't. In th- That's not theoretic- the point, right? Yeah, right. right. The point so, is that, that if, if Arcabello plays well or Matthias plays well or Parento with, you know, minutes and power play time, scores a few goals, that you can take those guys and flip them for picks. And, and like you mentioned, start adding more and more assets and then hope to convert on those, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So why don't so, teams uh, understand that? It seems pretty basic for a team that's not good not to, you know, spend like crazy in free agency just to get a bunch of stop gaps and then hope those stop gaps work out to some degree like they did with Daniel Winnick and Mike Santorelli last year. Like I, it the other, pretty clear yeah, the other thing they're doing is protecting the kids, right? And I think that, yeah. you know, other organizations that are getting closer to winning don't have that philosophy. They're not trying to keep Nylander in the AHL longer, which I think the Leafs are trying to do. You know, you look at the NHL roster after Matthias was added. I mean, even if they trade a Bozak or a Lupul, it's pretty set with veteran guys. Like, I don't see any of... I've been asked a couple times on the radio lately, you know, who, which of the young guys are going to make the Leafs. I don't think any of them are going to make the Leafs. And I think that that's by design. You know, maybe Nylander plays 20 or 30 games on the Leafs towards the end of the season, but in terms of making it full-time... I don't think any of them are. I mean, I, I think they're going to play a team of Winnick and Spalling and Matthias and Parento and all these guys. And, you know, it's kind of kind of a continuation of the end of last season, which, but with a better, with a better coach and they're going to implement, implement a new system and with Kadri probably on the first line and Morgan Riley getting 23 minutes a game. And, you know, they're going to develop guys in the NHL. They're going to develop guys for sure in the AHL. I mean, I was looking at the AHL depth chart, and that's going to be a very, very good AHL team where every player is 25 years old or younger, basically. I mean, I think they added one guy that's 27. Uh, I can't remember the, the name, but, like, it doesn't matter. They, they added one AHL veteran, but that's going to be a super, super young Marley's team, and I think it's going to be very good. Yeah, and it's looking like I have the depth chart for both teams in front of me, and it's the Marley's A look like they could be a lot more skilled in a lot of ways. And then the Leafs, like you, you touched on it, I don't see a spot for a young guy like Sam Carrick. No. The way I have it structured is like they're they're extra forward, and then on defense, whether it's like it, it would be Marinchin, I guess would be the seventh D, like or TJ Brennan. Like they don't have spots, nor should they. Like there's not really upside for them to to push a kneel under into the NHL. Like there, there's no reason that they would need to do it for like a lot of reasons. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not just readiness, it's contracts, it's it's yeah. lots of things. So It's money. Yeah, you're right. It's it money. costs you money to push those guys. And and you know what? The NHL the Leafs front office knows that. They know that. They've got a guy in there in the yeah. analytics department, Rob Pettipiece. I don't know if you've ever talked to him before, but I I know him pretty well. I know him he, he he's a big baseball guy and and basically I, I think what they're using Rob for is like long-term strategizing in the front office. I think they're using him to look at things like that and say, you know what, if we keep our guys on their entry-level deals playing in the AHL for a couple of years, that saves us X amount of dollars. That right. moves their next, that limits their next contract when they're, so they're not getting paid until they're 23 or they're 24 or, you know, it, yes. it moves the whole thing. It moves their entry-level deal. It moves their bridge contract if there is one. You know, it, it changes the whole dynamic if you've got all these guys that 
that play in the AHL as long as they can. That's that's the thing that I think a lot of media and a lot of fans miss. It's not just about waiting until the player's ready. It's about waiting until the team's ready. And it's one of the things that the Oilers did really poorly is they, they brought all these guys in at 18, and then all of a sudden they were all onto their $6 million and $7 million contracts when the team was still terrible. And they well, basically just wasted yeah. yeah, they wasted the years. And it's one of the things that Detroit does like magnificently is by the time those players get to the NHL, A, they're making squat, but B, like they're ready to play. And then by the time they come up to, you know, the end of their entry level deal, they haven't played very much. So there's not really a case. So their second contract, it like it's nothing. You know what I mean? Like we see, yeah. I, I think Gustav Nyquist is making like a buck. Or, or something around those lines. Same with Thomas Tatar. And so, like, I, I spoke to someone during last season about Morgan Riley as an example of this. Had they waited for Morgan Riley, he wouldn't be up, you know, as an RFA next summer. It would be, you know, it would be further down the line. And yet, because they brought him into the NHL when they did, like, suddenly he's going to be up for a new contract a little bit sooner. And he's played a couple years and he's put some points. Like, there's no, uh, like, I just don't see the upside to it especially if you're a bad team. No, there, that's because there isn't one. I mean, other than you want them to get NHL experience and get better, but like for next season, for where those guys are, they're so young. I mean, they're just, it doesn't make any sense for them to do that. We haven't touched on the draft. You had a really interesting story before the draft uh, about the Leafs list, about some of the internal conversations that were going on. And it seemed to hinge on, you know, a conversation that was going on internally between Mitch Marner, who obviously Mark Hunter would have tons of experience with, and Noah Hannafin, who, you know, projects potentially, you know, as that 1D type defenseman. How do you think that conversation played out um, with the, the Leafs front office as far as making the pick with Marner uh, eventually being that guy? Well, I think that they eventually, they had to give the final say to Mark Hunter. I mean, they've kind of, They've made him their chief scout. They've put their faith in him in terms of deciding who the talent's going to be. He knows Mitch Marner probably than anybody better than anybody else on the planet, other than like Mitch Marner's parents or something. And it be, because he's been involved with him so long, he drafted him as a midget player coming into the OHL. I mean, that's that's the reality is that they had to go with what Mark Hunter wanted. But I thought it was an interesting the the, the information I got is that it was a, a heated debate between Babcock and Hunter at one point in their scouting meetings where Babcock said he got to build around, you know, basically top pairing defensemen and, and frontline centermen, and you don't build around small wingers. And it's an interesting idea. And I think that he, I think Babcock knows that one of the things they ran into in Detroit, where they went from being an elite team to not being, to, to being like a good team, but not an elite team is they didn't have Nick Lidstrom anymore. They didn't have that elite D they were playing Cronwall, you know, 23, 24 minutes a night. And they were playing Erickson too much. And, they didn't, they didn't have that top pair. And if, if you don't have that, you can't make that up. You can't manufacture that by finding Tatars and, and Jerkos and, 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 you know, Polkinen and these other guys that they're finding deep in the draft. You know, you just can't do it. So I think Babcock looked at the, the video in the scouting meetings and said, this Hannafin is going to be amazing. He's big. He skates well. He's got the potential to be a, a top pairing defenseman. Let's, let's load up on defense because... You know, we can find another Marner somewhere else. So, th- yeah, I mean, the people I talked to said that it was a uh, it was a really interesting debate that happened in the Leafs front office. And the thing too is that, like, I I wrote that story and I didn't intend it to be 
some fans perceived it as being a negative that there was this debate that there was this this friction i guess i mean i think that that's probably normal and i think that that's probably good that there's a debate over talking about which player is better and and getting i mean i think it's good that babcock's so involved i mean people are saying he's working 12 14 hours a day he's putting his opinions in there and he's not saying it's my way or i'm not or 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 get out of the room or whatever they're having a i think a healthy debate between people that have different ideas over what players to pick. I mean, I think that that's probably the way a, a team should function. And and in the end, they went with Marner. And it's going to be so interesting to look back at that story six or seven years from now and see if it was the right call. Yeah. And, and you know what? Two points. Like you mentioned the, the different voices. And that seems to be what Brendan Shanahan wants in his front office from all indications is he wants lots of different opinions and different ideas and different personalities and then try to come to a consensus. But then you hit on like the, what I was kind of going through in my mind uh, as to that pick. One, they said that they see Mitch Marner playing center, which is interesting because obviously that changes the dynamic somewhat. But obviously he's never going to be that big, you know, number one center that teams covet. But there is so much value in having like that that first defenseman. You touched on it. And the more I thought about it, the more, like, if you can get that guy and you really believe that Noah Hannafin is that guy, you got to get that guy. Like, those guys, like the Keiths, this, you know, the, the, the Sue Bands, the Carlsons, Headman. um, the, the Headmans, those guys play half the game. They play yeah. power play, they play penalty kill, they play against opposing top lines. Like, there is so much more value in having Doubt, that guy. Doughty. Yeah. Doughty, like there is more, you get more value out of that than you do out of, I don't know, we don't know what Mitch Marner is going to become, but like, isn't there more value to having that player than having, you know, a, a, an undersized, whether he's a winger or a center? Like, how do you, where do you stand on that whole thing? No, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's, I'm trying to think with Marner, like, what's an example of a small, like a 5'10, 5'11 center? that is as elite as like one of those defensemen we're talking about. I mean, there are centers that change the game to that extent. You know, I think like, like Kopitar or, or Bergeron or Dave, I mean, those guys, those guys without question are just as valuable as, as, as the the best defenseman in the league. But I'm trying to think of like a, 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 he doesn't project as that though. Right. Well, I mean, I think where they picked him, they got to project him as a first line guy. And if they expect, does he project to be like that, that, all-round two-way center? I know that Hunter thinks that he can be better, like a, like a good two-way for, uh, forward. I don't know. I don't know for sure if they're saying a centerman, but they feel that he, he's very competitive and that he can be... I just, I don't know if he's going to end up on the wing or not. I mean, that's going to be the question with him. And the other thing, too, is if, like, if you think a guy is going to be a number one center, shouldn't he be playing that all the way through junior? I mean, if he's that good of a, a player at that position, shouldn't he be... Shouldn't he be playing that in junior hockey, not moving back and forth, as it sounds well, and, like he was? And, and James, like I talked to Dylan Hunter, who was on their staff in London, and he said he came in his first year as a winger, and they only moved him to center out of necessity last year. But like right. Mark Hunter said that they see him being a center down the line. They want him to have the puck. But like to your point, it, it's it's unclear if that's actually where he's going to play or whether he ends up on the wing, like say, you know, like a Patrick Kane. So does he top out as a second line center? I mean, that's, so that's, I think that I actually, I said this in the piece, the two reasons they took Marner over Hannafin was number one, Mark Hunter, the connection there. Number two, they think he can play center. I mean, I think that that's, that's why they took him is they feel like he can do that. So, 
if if he was just a winger, I think that that debate got a lot more interesting. And that's yeah, you're right. I and mean, you're absolutely right. That's that's what I took out of that those scouting meeting conversations that Babcock was providing some insight there that I think is really valuable as a guy who's been in the league a long time, 12 years as an NHL coach, coach team Canada. He knows how much you need a defenseman like that. And the other thing too is, I mean, we don't know for sure what Hannafin is. I mean, there haven't been a lot of, there haven't been a lot of college defensemen. I mean, all those guys we named, how many of them play the NCAA? Well, not, the, only one not, I, the one I can think of off the top of my head is Suter. Yep. Yep. And I yep. heard, you know, I, I've talked to people who said Zach Wierenski was more suitor-ish than Hannafin. Like, who knows? But your your point uh, is right. We don't know what Hannafin is going to be, and we're not going to be able to judge this for a few years. So I know for sure Columbus was, like, over the moon that they got Wierenski at, at number eight, I think, was their pick. I mean, they were they had him, like, really, really high on their list. So, I mean, maybe he'll end up being the best defenseman in there. I mean, that's right. – and, and pe- people love – People love Provorov, who went to Philadelphia. I mean, it's so, so that's the thing with the, with the draft. We think we know, but we don't know. So No, there's no such thing as a good pick until we're five, seven years down the line. Let me, let me close with this just before we get out of here. It was very apparent what they were trying to do with the draft. It's really such like a stark change as to how things were with all the, the attempts at skill that they took. They didn't really care, in, it seemed in many cases, about size. Was that like the hallmark of, of what they're trying to be about with Mark Hunter kind of steering their draft? Well, I think they're trying to find undervalued players and still in hockey right now, that's shorter guys. I mean, it's not even small. Like some of the guys they took were 5'9 or 5'10, but big. You know, they, they had, I, I can't remember, I can't remember all the names. A Swedish kid, Swedish slash Ukrainian kid was, uh, you know, had a lot of weight on him. I think he was like 5'10, 190 or something like that. I mean, you know, there's it's you look at like, like Crosby's not a tall guy. There's a lot of guys that aren't very tall that are but good that's players. Still an idea, James, you know, this better than I, I like size is still something that NHL teams, old NHL guys, like they would rather have you. And I guess I understand this. They would rather have you be a bit bigger uh, if everything else is equal, but like we've see it, we see it more and more and more that it doesn't matter. Does it? Well, the, and the thing too is that people are making those picks, and everything isn't equal, right? I mean, like they're picking the right. bigger guys that aren't nearly as skilled, and you know, the analytics guys have looked at this. I mean, it's Tampa Bay is a good example. I mean, they started picking that way back when Eiserman first came in, 2010, 2011. and now they've got a team where you know people are. I, I saw some people were were harping on the on the Leafs for not having a lot of of tall prospects up front at forward. The, the Lightning this year went to the Stanley Cup final, game six. They had two players that were 6'2 or bigger uh, at forward. Brian, Brian Boyle, who they got as a free agent, and uh, Kalorn, you know, the, the one pick. Everybody else, Stamkos, everybody else, 6'1 and shorter, and a lot of them are under six feet. And a lot of their draft picks in the last few years, uh, other than this year, which looked like a bit of an anomaly for the Lightning, were small. And I think that that's the way the league's going, is that that's where you can find some value. And I think that that's what the Leafs are looking at. If that changes, if more teams start looking more at the smaller guys, maybe the Leafs have to shift their philosophy. But right now, I think it's going to work for them. I mean, they made some really good bets with those sixth and seventh round picks, I think, because you look at the point totals those guys are putting up, and why not take a chance on them? Yeah, and and like it gets back to the whole analytics movement, if you want to call it that, or just what I would say is just the game getting smarter, but the idea is to have the puck. And if you're drafting these skill guys, no matter how big they are, they're going to have the puck. Like 
look at Detroit all those years. How many of those teams were big teams per se? They just had the puck no. the whole time. And Detroit, I remember because I idea. I used to add it up every year. Detroit always had the smallest and oldest and you know shortest and lightest team in the league by like by quite a bit. You know, like yeah. it was, you know, they and, and the most European team as well. They had the most Russians. They had the most Swedes of any team in the NHL. It wasn't even close. It's because. You know, they didn't have those high picks, but they knew where to find value and they had good scouts in those locations. So the other thing, I mean, like it seems like the Leafs have made some really good picks in Sweden in the mid rounds the last couple of years with Tommy Bergman there as the scout kept him one of the few scouts that they kept. Feels like they should keep going back to him. And I think they pick a couple Swedes this year. But anyway, I mean, I think that that's something, you know, know your scouting staff, know where you have strengths and let them make some picks. One last thing. I know you got to go. Uh, we saw Nazem Kadri got a one-year deal, 4.1. Jonathan Bernier, they continue to talk, new contract. We'll see what that ends up coming in with. I can't, like, there was no way that this, a short-term deal wasn't going to be the, the route that they took with Kadri. Do you just see the same thing happening with Jonathan Bernier? Just a short, really short deal and kind of see where things go this year? I think that, honestly, that's what Bernier wants is because I think he feels like he can have a better season than last year and he can earn more money. So it's, that's going to be a really tough contract for them to, to, to figure out because, you know, starting goalies that have played the amount of games that Bernie's played the last two years, make a lot of money. I mean, look at what Dubnik got, you know, look at what, uh, you know, the Capitals are having the same situation with Holtby. It's the, the starting goalies that play a lot of games and Bernie has that, has had that one great save percentage season, not, not this year, but the one before. You know, I mean, he can argue that he deserves 4.7 or 5 million bucks a year. So, you know, if it does go to arbitration, I mean, that'll be a, a, a very interesting case to look at. But I think that Bernier wants to go short term as well. So I don't think that that's going to be, I mean, but the thing Here's that's the surprised- sense I got on that, James, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. You can make a case and he can make a case that there's upside in both. Like if he goes short term, plays well, gets a bigger contract next summer. If he goes long term- there's security there, you know, you, you get some security with a longer term deal, but I just can't see a scenario where the Leafs would go long term, given where they are and given, you know, his age and given everything uh, that, that kind of surrounds the team. Like, I just can't see a scenario where they would go long term. The thing that surprised me, though, is it seems like they have a lot of belief in him more than I thought. Like, you look at the goalie market, you look at the, what goalies were going for, like Laner went for a first round pick and mm-hmm. Martin Jones got all that money and he he returned a first round pick and. You know, I I don't think they looked at moving Bernier. I mean, I think that they they feel like he's part of the solution, and that surprised me a little bit because you know if if they are listening to the analytics guys, it, that wouldn't necessarily be the case. Okay, we gotta go. We've touched on lots of things. I'm sure we'll. I don't know when we'll talk next. Before camp, for sure. Sounds good. You going up okay. to Collingwood? I am. I want to get a look at this Kapanen kid. Get a get an up close look, and I want to see some of their other prospects like Zach Hyman and. Uh, we'll see where Frederick Goche is, and just a, there's Andreas Johnson. There's lots of guys I actually want to just see in person to get like a read on on where they are and where they're going. So yeah, Johnson's a good. I mean, Johnson's one of those guys that no one ever talks about, and his numbers in the Swedish league. I mean, he basically Great. rank him as one rank him as one of their best prospects. So and almost never, no one ever talks about him. So all right, we'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks for this, James. Okay, thanks, Jonas.